Okay, we're working now. All right, so we will be continuing with the good, the true, and the beautiful. Last time we took a break with uh, the transcendental arguments for God, and this week we will be uh, returning to the good, the true, and the beautiful, finishing off with the beautiful. Um, For those of you watching online who might not know me, my name is CJ. Um, I am Rabbi Glenn's son-in-law. This is my beautiful wife. Beautiful. Um, So... Today we're going to be discussing uh, a bunch of arguments for the transcendental, or for, sorry, for the um, argument from beauty or the aesthetic argument. They're all pretty intuitive, um, but they take some getting used to. There aren't going to be any handouts this week. I was running short on time, and so figured we could skip out on that. Before we get into anything else, though, we had a challenge last time uh, with the transcendental arguments. And it was to ask a skeptic how they account for logic, beauty, or morality. Did anyone do that here or have a conversation that's even a little bit apologetics related? Nothing. That's okay. Any gospel conversations? Yeah? What kind of conversations did we have? Yeah. So we use the gospel to three different gospel stories. Yeah. Trust his situation. Wow. That's pretty powerful. Wow. And your name? Michael. Michael. So Michael had a gospel conversation with the proprietor of a car wash. Uh, Three different stories from the Bible he was able to share with him, just relating to his life. That's amazing. Um, So we got to keep our eye out for that sort of thing. Hey, welcome. There will be another challenge at the end of this talk, and so we'll get another opportunity to have those conversations and then reflect on them uh, next message. So continuing on, though, with today, uh, the beautiful I always like to start with the takeaway of the message, <clears throat> just so you kind of have the destination in mind so you know where we're going. The takeaway today is that beauty is the undeniable wink of the divine made manifest. Beauty is the undeniable wink of the divine made manifest. And I say it's a wink because all the glimpses that we have of beauty, they seem so fleeting. Like a painting is only there for so long. Um, A beautiful sunset is only there for so long. And you don't get the same intensity as we we will in heaven. So they're just little winks. It's like God winking at us. But they're undeniable. It's very hard to deny beauty. You can't look at something beautiful and say, no, I'm going to choose to believe that's not beautiful. That's a very hard thing to do. (laughs) Beauty is one of those things that just asserts itself on you. And I chose what I think is one of the most beautiful paintings, uh, The Triumph of Christianity Over Paganism. This was painted in 1899 by Gustave Dore. You can see a few figures in there. There's Zeus and Jesus and the Archangel Michael. It's, It's a cosmic battle between all the lesser gods, the pagan gods, 
and then the true God. And uh, I want you to study this image a little bit because we'll be coming back to certain themes. Um, already we're, we're getting hints of what beauty is. Light is beautiful. Contrast is beautiful. Symmetry is beautiful. All right, keep all of this stuff in mind. Take a look at this and form your opinion of what beauty is and what makes something beautiful. And we will carry on. So to sort of by way of apology for no notes, this will be more interactive. Um, I want you guys to give me your definition of beauty, and then I'll sort of explain what mine is and what certain philosophers have um, had as theirs. Does anyone want to take a jab at what beauty is? Yes. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So she said that um, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, and for her, her eye has a fancy for nature. Nature is beautiful. That's a good example of beauty. Does anyone want to define what beauty is? Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's a good definition. So she said um, when she was a little girl and she saw something beautiful, it would give her a big smile. So beauty might be that which gives you a big smile. <laughs> I like that definition. Yes, Anna. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, Anna said there's beauty in the simple things, a ladybug on a leaf, and there's beauty in the complex things. All the countless trillions of stars in the universe and looking up at the vast array. So simplicity and complexity. Anyone else? Yeah. Oh, Nancy says... The birth of a baby is beautiful. I would agree with that. Puppies are beautiful. So um, I want to draw your attention to what we're doing here. The mind is so feeble when it comes to uh, conceptualizing beauty. What have we just done? 90% of those answers were examples. They were case instances of beauty. They weren't defining beauty. Uh, they were giving, like, this is beautiful. I don't know what it is, but something about this, I think, is beautiful. And that's our natural in inclination. So um, all of what you guys said is true, but it's also a little bit too wide. It's too, like, simple and complex and stuff that makes us happy. And, but beauty can also make us sad, you know? Like, so um, certain sad things are beautiful, rather. Um, we'll take a look at one, the Pieta the statue of Jesus in Mother Mary's arms. So um, I'm going to go over what some philosophers have said about beauty. We'll go over the qualities of beauty, and then the forms of beauty, and finally what beauty isn't, what we can't say beauty is. All right, qualities of beauty. Well, first and foremost, it's objective. Beauty is an objective thing. Um, and we might say, well, no, it's in the eye of the beholder, right? To an extent it is, certainly. 
Um, but it's also objective in that uh, you can't deny its existence. And even if someone finds something that is beautiful, not beautiful, you can say, no, that person's wrong. Right? Someone can be wrong about beauty. Um, and I think we would all agree with that. Just because you can argue something doesn't mean that, and, or that there's different opinions about something, doesn't mean that there's not one right answer. Right? So same thing with um, scientific theories. Just because a lot of people think different theories are right and they might disagree doesn't mean that there's not a root to that, which is true. It's, there really is one theory. There really is one beauty. Um, so it's, it's beautiful. Uh, beauty is objective, rather. It's objective. It is pleasing. This brings us back to the smile. So beauty is naturally pleasing. Um, one might even say it, it, it is like meant for joy. It's like, it almost like it has a purpose and it's to bring us joy or to bring us to some sort of emotion. It emotes, right? Um, so that's one attribute of beauty. It has emotions connected to it. It is universal. So I don't think there's ever been a human except for maybe those that are cognitively impaired that would deny beauty. It's, it seems to be everywhere. Um, everyone has a sense of beauty. There is beauty in every nook and cranny of this universe. So it's ubiquitous. It's universal. Um, in that way, it's, it's like beyond our reach. It's just too much. It's everywhere. So it is also transcendent. That, that goes back to the, it's beyond our reach. Um, what I mean by transcendent is it doesn't come from us. Like, we can't wrap our minds around it. We're only getting tastes of beauty. Um, sort of how we can disagree about scientific theories and how we can disagree about different um, conceptions of what's beautiful and what's not, there still is something objective about it that is outside of us. And so it's, it's not within me that the beauty comes from. Um, some philosophers of old and even today would say that no, it's just the neurons firing your brain. Um, beauty is just within those neurons. When you look at something beautiful, this certain part of your brain lights up, and that's all that beauty is. No, it's a little bit more transcendent than that. It's a little bit beyond that. Um, it's outside of our grasp. Okay. And then the last is it is intelligent. And what I mean by that is it, it, um, it is the product of intelligence, I don't think um, much beauty, maybe a little bit of beauty, but not much beauty happens by accident. Um, if you spill something on like a countertop, it's normally not beautiful. But if you slave over a painting for years, like some of the greats did, um, Michelangelo on chapel ceilings, it's like you can see. Now that, that's the work of an intelligent mind. Um, it's like that with most forms of art. If you were to come across... Um, let's say like a, a drawing in the sand on a beach somewhere, and it was um, really pleasing to you. You said it was beautiful. Would you think that just a crab walked by and it just happened to be, or like some sticks fell and tossed up the sand in that way? N not usually. Um, and insofar as there is beauty in randomness and unintelligence, that might be a reflection of beauty being universal. Like every, you can find beauty in just about everything. But beauty as such, generally, in its greatest, um, greatest levels, is from intelligence. Okay, 
So the forms of beauty. Well, like we said, nature, um, the ladybug, the stars, the sunset, the birth. Um, nature is beautiful. That much is self-evident. Art, imitating nature, is beautiful. So we can draw a painting that's of a sunset. That's beautiful. Um, but even art that's not that. Um, I have down the line abstract art. There's like some Jackson Pollocks, which are really, they're beautiful. Um, love or hate the guy, it is sort of beautiful. Um, other forms of art like music. It's not really nature, but it's beautiful. Um, non-sensory beauty. Uh, this would be like a proof, like a mathematical proof. It can be really beautiful. Even um, like if you contemplate nothingness or if you contemplate eternality, like just time going on and on and on, it can like leave you awestruck. You're like, oh my goodness, that's kind of a beautiful idea. Um, chess can be beautiful. <laughs> like if you find a really beautiful game of chess, the, the players played in just the right order and created this great scene on the board, that can be beautiful. Um, order, there is definitely beauty in order. That much is self-explanatory. Um, most paintings, that they have a little bit of order to them, but also the disorder, like the Jackson Pollock. Um, sometimes it's disorder within order. That's beautiful. And sometimes it's order within disorder. Like if you find um, a perfect arrangement in this like junkyard, that can be beautiful. Um, and then morality is beautiful. So like, let's say someone forgives... Um, they're debtor. That you can say they did a beautiful thing there. And what we're saying is the good is beautiful. Um, so it's one of those three transcendents, the good, the true, and the beautiful. Truth can be beautiful. Good, good acts can be beautiful. And then divinity, God is beautiful. That, I mean, God is like the source of beauty. We would all agree about that. But um, if you look at different world religions, not even Christianity, you would say, some of their gods are beautiful because um, they're kind of drawing from the God. And emotions can be beautiful. Um, let's say you're, you're watching a play and you're moved to tears from a scene. Um, not just the scene is beautiful, but sometimes your emotion can be beautiful. Um, what is beauty not? Well, it's not totally in the eye of a beholder. It is to an extent, but it's not totally that. Uh, that would make it subjective. And we know that it's transcendent. It's not total randomness, because we know it's intelligent. Uh, it's, this is actually a really old conception of beauty. Whoops. It's a really old conception of beauty. Proportions. Um, a lot of philosophers used to think that beauty is only in symmetry, or proportions, like the golden ratio, if you have time, look that up. Um, that's where beauty comes from. Really, there's a lot that disproves that. Um, uh, we'll get into that later, maybe. And then attraction. Not all that attracts us is beautiful. There are certain ugly things which we shouldn't be attracted to that um, we would say, that's not beautiful. So attraction can't be it either. But that was a common idea from certain philosophers. Uh, first of all, any questions about any of these qualities, forms, any of that? Yeah. Yeah. 
So, yeah. So she's saying that um, she's having a hard time understanding why beauty is objective. Because there are some younger people today who think certain um, things are beautiful, which she totally disagrees about. And there's a lot of people who would agree with you. I mean, like rap fans and country fans. They hate each other. They're like, this is... But they find beauty in it. Well, the common core of that would be um, like music theory. Certain beats, certain chords are beautiful. It doesn't really matter. That's like the core of it is beautiful. Um, what I mean by objective is... Like, how do I put this? There are certain things which are beautiful by themselves and in themselves, and you can't deny it. So, for example, God, um, as a concept, the greatest possible being, um, or the act of, like, sacrificing yourself for another, or a rose. I think if someone were to say, no, that's ugly, they would be objectively wrong, Um I think that not only would they be in the minority, but they would actually be wrong about that. Like, like in a scientific fact, there are certain people who believe the Earth is flat. I would say that they're wrong. <laughs> Just because different opinions exist doesn't mean that, you know, it's, it's relative. Um, all right, so we'll continue on, though. We'll maybe come back to that. Beauty and Scripture. What does Scripture have to say about beauty? I'm going to read some of these verses here. Um, and it will give us hints of what God thinks is beautiful. What God thinks is beautiful. Psalm nineteen one: The heavens declare the glory of God; the skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech; night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. So the heavens declare the, sc- the glory of God; glory being beautiful. Genesis 1.27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So God being the beautiful, just like he's the good, he's the beautiful, us being made in his image makes us beautiful. Philippians 4.8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So this is God saying to, um, God imploring us to think about beauty, to pursue beauty. Matthew six twenty-eight through 29. And why do you worry about clothes? See the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Here, God is telling us that the the lilies of the field are objectively beautiful, um, that nature is beautiful. Ecclesiastes 3.11, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Isaiah 40.26, lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all this? He who brings about the starry hosts one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. And, um, oh, I'm skipping one here. Psalm 139.14, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. So the works of God are wonderful or beautiful. Um, Romans 1.20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature 
have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. And that one's powerful because it's saying the order in nature, the beauty in nature, that points to an intelligence, like we said. It points to a creator. Uh, You can't look at something beautiful and say, no, that happened by accident, especially if it's as ubiquitous, universal, transcendent as what we see in the universe. Okay, so we have no questions, I'm assuming, about the scripture here. Okay, we'll get into the arguments from beauty now. And I think we can breeze through these. So the first argument from beauty is just about the sheer existence of beauty. Um, Not just that it exists, but that it's so prevalent that it's um, almost, the term I use here is gratuitous. It's like there's unnecessary beauty. It serves no purpose in our universe. There's beauties that we discover each day by peering farther into space. There's beauties that we find anew um, in the ocean day by day. And those are like beauties that we would have never stumbled upon if we didn't go to those lengths to, to reach them. So they clearly don't serve a purpose other than maybe God giving us um, joy in exploring the universe. So that sort of gratuitous beauty exists. Well, gratuitous beauty is improbable given atheism. Why would we expect a universe so chock full of beauty that serves no purpose? Uh, If there's no God, why would you have that? Um, So if gratuitous beauty is improbable on atheism and it exists, then atheism must be improbable. And this is an inference to the best explanation. It's not like a knockdown argument for God. It's saying what's more probable, that this beauty was put here by an intelligence, um, and that's why there's so much of it, or that things randomly happened, and out of that randomness, beauty was found everywhere. I would expect if a universe was just created at random that you would find one or two, maybe three acts of beauty just sprinkled in there, but it's everywhere. So that's the argument. Yes, Anna? Gratuitous being unnecessary, like over the top. Serves no purpose. Um, So any questions about this? We're going to get into the objections to this argument, but any questions about the formulation? Okay, so here are the common objections to this. First, just denying that gratuitous beauty exists in the first place. Um, saying that either it's not gratuitous or beauty doesn't exist, both of which I think are just self-evidently wrong. Um, I think anyone in their right senses would see beauty and see how it is uh, unnecessary in certain instances. Um, There are certain beautiful things which no doubt exist out there, and no human ever lays eyes on them. Like, maybe a coconut fell in the wilderness somewhere and it created a beautiful scene, the way that it fell. Well, that might not have been viewed by anyone. Why would it exist? Um, Another objection would be, a universe with gratuitous beauty is as probable as any other universe. This takes some thinking. Um, Like I said, if atheism is true, you would expect after um, an act like the Big Bang that any random universe would exist. It could have been any universe. That it was a universe with life and beauty and love, that's by happenstance. It could have been just a universe with like the three planets. 
or a universe with a bunch of gases. But it was this universe. So they say, well, it's sort of like rolling die. If you roll five die, you might get a two, a three, a one, a five, and a four. You know, like whatever. Um, that is just as probable as like three fives, or five fives in a row. Five, 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 five. So they're both equally probable. It's one out of six times one out of six times one out of six, you know, five times. That is true. They're equal, equal probabilities. It's true until you recognize that someone's playing, placing a value on five. So um, five is the desired outcome. And so if you have a desired outcome, then the probability becomes much less. Um, do you kind of see how that, that plays out? Um, one is totally random, then the other one's very specific. Okay, so um, it's actually not as probable as any other universe here. The existence of ugliness, that's maybe said to refute the idea that God created the universe. Well, ugliness God might have also created or allowed to exist for a purpose. Um, just like sin um, or evil, he allows to exist um, for a number of reasons, but one of them being for contrast. Sometimes you only know something is beautiful because it's surrounded by ugliness. Um, something that comes to mind is like the manger scene. A lot of paintings or um, depictions of the, the manger scene is like there's an ugly barn and um, an ugly little manger and ugly animals, but then there's the Christ child in the center of it all and Mary and Joseph and they're peering down and it's beautiful precisely because Christ is surrounded by the mundane. Um, so that's an instance of why God might allow beauty to exist. Uh, far from refuting the existence of God, uh, it actually goes to, to prove it. Does that make sense? Okay, well, keep going then. The intelligence of beauty. Like we said, beauty is intelligent, uh, or the product of intelligence. So, um, because the universe is beautiful, there must be an intelligence behind the universe. Um, we already gave this argument informally, but here it is formally. Now, the objections to this, first is that no intelligence is needed for beauty. Um, I would rebut this by asking someone to offer an example of that. Offer an example where there's beauty, but no intelligence behind it. Um, and then you'd have to, even if you could find an example of that, you'd have to say that that is the rule and not the exception. Um, the fact that the universe itself is so full of beauty and so precise would hint that there's a creator behind it. Um, it certainly doesn't look like a spill. Uh, the Big Bang wasn't a spill. It was an orchestra. Um, only intelligence of the perceiver is needed. So they might say, well, beauty isn't, an intelligence doesn't need to um, create, uh, an intelligence isn't needed behind beauty, but it is for the observer. In other words, um, something, nothing out there is really beautiful. It's just the observer in his intelligence can project beauty on it. He can say, oh, I find that beautiful, even though really it isn't. It's just all in the mind. Um, that is to say that beauty is relative. 
Um, and that's basically also to say that humanity is under a delusion. You know, like, really, nothing in the universe is beautiful, but we, by our own fancy, um, have evolved the sense to uh, superimpose beauty on the world, just like we, we find order in the world. And I would say that that's just utterly false. Um, it's, it's going extra steps for that theory. Um, there's a concept in philosophy called Occam's Razor. And it's, it basically states that the proposition or the explanation with the fewest amount of assertions is normally the right one. So um, if you find a coffee cup on the side of the road and it's upside down, you might say, well, someone was drinking coffee and they dropped their coffee cup. Or you could say, well, a parade was, an in, t- was in town and there was an elephant wearing a coffee cup on his head and, and they went through and then everything was um, in disarray because there was a, a, like a mass shooting in the streets and that coffee cup fell there and it landed like that. Well, one theory is more likely true than the other, and it's because there's more assumptions you have to make on the one theory. So saying that all of humanity is under this delusion, that there's no beauty out in the world, that we can't trust our senses, all of that's so much. Um, Rather than to say, beauty really does exist, and our human minds were created to perceive it. Though that's like two things versus 30 things. Um, So that's... the rebuttal for that. Any questions there? Okay. The weight of beauty, um, or the gravity of beauty. This is just kind of a gut reaction. It's not a formal argument. Um, As you can see, it's not logical. It's just sunset is beautiful. Tiger is beautiful. Something is beautiful. X is beautiful. Well, the beauty of that thing gives me the sense of the divine, gives me the impression that God is there in that thing. Um, John Calvin called it the sensus divinitatis. Um, Therefore, the divine exists, right? You're you're perceiving something true. You can trust your senses there. Um, I actually have a a kind of a long quote from John Calvin that explains the sensus divinitatis. So I'll, I'll read that here. There is within the human mind and indeed by natural instinct, an awareness of diversity, or sorry, of divinity. Um, This we take to be beyond controversy, so you can't contest it. To prevent anyone from talking, or sorry, from taking refuge in the presence of ignorance, God himself has implanted in all men a certain understanding of his divine majesty. Men of sound judgment will always be sure that a sense of divinity which can never be effaced is engraved upon men's minds. Indeed, um, the perversity of the impious, who though they struggle furiously, are unable to extricate themselves from the fear of God, is abundant testimony that this conviction, namely, that there is some God, is naturally inborn in all, and is fixed deep within, as, as it were, in the very marrow. So basically, this is like in our bones, this sense of the divine. And when we view something beautiful, it's bringing that out, um, that sense of the divine. Um, Any questions about this argument? I think we've all experienced this. You see, like, Niagara Falls, you're like, wow, there has to be a God, you know? You see a birth, it's like, wow, that's a miracle. Well, okay, so the objections. 
It's not logical. It's not, you can't prove God through this. Yes, you're right, granted. Okay, it's an argument that will compel some and then others not. Uh, that's as far as it goes. That's all it's meant to. The, another objection. X is not beautiful. The sunset isn't beautiful. The birth isn't beautiful. To that I say, you're wrong. <laughs> right? Like, that's bad taste. Bad taste really does exist in people. Um, some people have perverted their senses or they were born, um, like, certain people born autistic have a skewed sense of beauty. Um, so that's very much a possibility. Um, if you are in the minority, the burden of proof is on you to prove that this isn't beautiful. Um, the sense of awe is there, perhaps, but not the divine. They'll separate the two. Yes, I feel what you're feeling. That's awe. Um, you say, no, that's God. Well, what I would say is awe is the secular term for the numinous. I have a definition of numinous here. It's just from the dictionary. Um, the existence of, sorry, uh, where is it here? Oh, having a strong religious or spiritual quality suggesting presence of divinity. So what we uh, confuse for awe is really a is like a spiritual sense. We've dulled it through sin, um, through the fall. Um, we, we have corrupted our reason and our senses, but it is truly a spiritual sense. Um, you can't like measure beauty physically. You can't experiment with beauty. Science can't prove something is beautiful. It is like a spiritual thing. Um, and in that way, I would say it's, it's a hinting at the divine. Um, again, not a foolproof argument, but that's what, that's what I've got. Any questions there? All right. The objectivity of beauty. So arguing to God from objective being, uh, sorry, beauty being objective. So we would say beauty is not relative. There are some things which are really beautiful, and if you say they're not, you're wrong. So that's the first premise. Second premise is if beauty is not relative, then it must be objective. That's just, it's, it's called a tautology. Um, like that thing is brown, so it's brown, <laughs> right? Like that's just, um, you don't need to defend that premise. If beauty is objective, it must be grounded in a transcendent. So if something is objective, it's not relative to us, then it must be grounded in something beyond us. Um, that would be God, right? But um, we'll just track here with this. If something isn't found in me, then it's found outside of me, um, and that must be a transcendent thing. The transcendent is what we call God. That's the name we give to it. Therefore, God exists. This is probably my favorite argument. If you notice, it follows the same formula as the moral argument for God. Right? Right and wrong really do exist. They wouldn't exist if God existed. If God didn't exist, therefore God exists. Okay? Any questions with this? Okay. Then we'll go to the objections, the naysayers. They might say, beauty is not really objective. It's relative. We went over this. Um, disagreement doesn't equal relativism. Um, something uh, might be argued over, but just because the argument exists doesn't mean that there isn't a right answer. It's the same sort of thing. Beauty can be grounded 
in non-divine things. So that transcendent that we were talking about, that we ground beauty in, might be nature. Why can't nature be the, the ground of beauty? After all, it is outside of us, so we're just like perceiving it. Um, that's where beauty comes from. Well, no, <laughs> because something cannot be the ground of itself. We're pointing at nature and saying nature is beautiful. So to explain nature's beauty by saying that nature exists is not to explain anything. It's like arguing in a circle. You kind of get that? Yeah. I was hoping someone, because we're going to get into that. Um, that's why we say, it's just like um, Euthyphro's dilemma, actually. That's why we say God isn't beautiful. He is the beautiful. So he is beauty himself. So you can't point at God and be like, um, I need to explain that, that beauty in him. It's like, no, he is actually the explanation for that beauty. Um, Nature isn't that way because, you know, there's ugly things in nature that would preclude nature as such from being beauty. Um, so that's a, that's a short and dirty answer for that. Um, does anyone else have any questions about that? Okay, we're making good time. I think this is the last one. Um, the perceivability of beauty. Like the fact that we can sense it, okay? This is an interesting one. Naturalistic evolution only produces in animals that which aids in survival. Um, most evolutionists, um, secular evolutionists, would agree with you on this. They would say um, evolution um, advances in a species only that which helps it propagate its DNA, okay? Well, the second premise is the perception of beauty does no such thing. It doesn't aid in, in survival. Sometimes, in fact, it hinders survival. We'll get into examples. Therefore, evolution did not and could not have produced the perception of beauty. So if evolution didn't do it, if, if um, naturalistic evolution can't do it, then um, something else must have, and that must be God. If atheism cannot explain it, then theism must explain it. Um, any questions about this? The first premise is probably like the, the hardest one to wrap your mind around. And it's just a, a tenet of natural selection. Um, if someone, if some animal has a, a attribute which doesn't help it survive, then over time that um, those the animals with that attribute will die off because just by sheer probability the other ones will survive more and um, the other one will die. Um, so if beauty were something uh, that helped animals survive, that would explain it, but it doesn't. Um, it doesn't help animals survive. It has no survival benefit. So We'll get into the objections here. They'll say, all perceptions of beauty aid in survival. They'll say, no, beauty, in fact, does help us survive. Like, I could see an uh, uh, evolutionist might say, well, beauty helps cultivate uh, society. 
and in societies we band together because we're herd animals. So uh, beauty might allow us to come together as a herd. Well, that doesn't really <laughs> hold much weight. Um, and in fact, there's other examples of it doing the opposite. We have an intense fascination with the ocean because we find it so beautiful. Um, there's something beautiful about the way a shark moves. Something beautiful about um, like space, outer space, uh, the stars. We just want to go to them. Like if you if you just took a caveman and showed him the stars in a spaceship, he'd want to like wander out. You'd be like, okay, yeah, let's go take a look closer up, and then he'd step into the vacuum of space and die. Right? Like beauty there. <laughs> didn't exactly help him survive. Um, his perception of beauty, anyway, didn't help him survive. Um, wolves are beautiful, yet you don't want to like try to pet a wolf because they're just so cute. Um, <laughs> poisonous berries. Now, you might look at a fruit. Um, that's why evolutionists say that we developed this, this um, ability to perceive color, or at least as well as we can perceive color, is because it helps us find ripe fruit. Um, we're drawn to bright red because that's how we know there's the most nutrients in that fruit. Um, well, that's a double-edged sword because um, you could say the same thing about like poisonous berries. Yeah, this berry looks really beautiful. This um, mushroom looks really beautiful. Let's go ahead and eat it. <laughs> this poison dart frog looks great. Let me pet it. Like, um, no, that would hinder survival. Um, and then another objection would be Perception of beauty is a bad mutation. Um, we were talking about how um, attributes exist in certain animals and then are weeded out um, if they're not survival advancing. Well, um, they're saying beauty is one of those bad attributes. It just hasn't been weeded out yet. Like, it really, you're right. Like, um, beauty doesn't help us survive. It can hurt our survival, but it's lingering still. Um, it's still being propagated in our DNA. Um, that might work, but again, like we've, according to the naturalistic evolutionists, we've been evolving for hundreds of thousands, millions of years. Why has it not been weeded out yet? Um, why would something persist for that long? Evolution is pragmatic. Nature won't um, let something continue on unless it serves a purpose. Um, it's like extra baggage that the animal has to carry with it because it takes energy for us to perceive beauty. That like those neurons firing in our brain when we perceive beauty, that takes energy. And so you need, it's like a caloric deficit that you put yourself in if you perceive beauty. So um, it, it should have been cut out long ago if it didn't aid in survival. Yet it still exists. So Yeah. 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 Anna was saying we care more than ever about beauty. Why would we care about like the sky being clear? You know, all the gases from the factories. And same thing with, you know, um, like these PETA types or like people who have an intense love for certain animals or certain parts of nature because they find a beauty. We need to save the rainforests. We need to save the dolphins from the tuna nets, you know. Um, all of those efforts to help another species, that does nothing for our species. It does nothing for us. So if evolution were true, why would we want to help other animals survive, divert our resources there, 
Um, so it just doesn't, it doesn't really work. It just falls so flat. Um, but it makes perfect sense on theism. Um, God gave us beauty as, a, as like an intimation of him. It draws us to him. Same thing with pain. Pain draws us to him. So, um, and, and it's also a reflection of him and the kingdom to come. Um, so there's like rich theology in beauty. And he gave it to us for that reason too. And here's where I go on a harangue. <laughs> um, I think we need more beauty in Christianity today. I think we need to at least make more of an effort to produce beauty. And I'll go through a few examples here. There are plenty more of, of the necessity and the utility of beauty and how it is undervalued um, in today's age by Christians. So the beauty of literature specifically like novels, like creative fiction. Um, there's a beauty in that. I, I've told this story before in one of these talks about a famous author, I think in England, and she read the Chronicles of Narnia as a little girl um, and later grew up to be an atheist in life and a famous author. And she went back to reread them in, in her adulthood and realized, oh my gosh, this is telling the gospel. <laughs> and she was so mad. She's like, I loved this book. This, it ruined it for me now that I know that the gospel is written all over these pages. Um, but like, imagine that, like it, it had such an impact on her soul. Like she loved the gospel story. She just didn't know it was the gospel. And then once she found out, she's like, oh, well now I don't like it. But she's, she's calling a rose ugly, you know, but first she was proved that it, the rose is beautiful. She's proved that Christianity is beautiful. If we can just reach our culture um, and touch their hearts with the beauty of the gospel through stories like Narnia or um, the Pilgrim's Progress, or, like there's so many, the Lord of the Rings, like all of it, it hints at the gospel. Um, that's, I think, how you win the souls of our culture. Um, you have to win their hearts before you win their souls. Um, actually, it's C.S. Lewis. It, it's what converted him. was like the beauty of the myths. Anyway, um, films. I think we have absolutely atrocious Christian films today. Like, they're just really bad. They're corny. Um, production quality is very low um, in general. Some are good. Um, it took um, a secularist to create a beautiful movie, Mel Gibson. Um, and that's kind of a, a stain on... Christianity, that we've lost touch with the ability to produce creatively and be creators. Um, so if we can create more movies, we can do what Hollywood does. And Hollywood has such a grip on the minds of young people today. It influences their morality. Everything about their identity is formed through like movies that they watch. So if we can get more movies into the, into the culture, that'd be great. Music. Um, it's Red there, Amazing Grace is in red because there was a link, but I'm told that we might get copyright uh, struck if we play it. So there's a beautiful version of Amazing Grace on YouTube. Um, you can find it. It has like the three crosses um, on, on the thumbnail. Anyway, it's a beautiful song, and it's an undeniably beautiful song. This is one of those instances of God winking at humanity in an undeniable manner. Um, 
it moves people to tears every day and like in um, Sunday services all across the nation, all across the world. I mean, this song has probably brought people to Christ. Uh, and it was actually written by John Newton, who was a slave owner. When, when you realize that the words take on this new significance, you get almost all of beauty in this song. You get order, like rhythm. You get um, like morality, him turning from his ways. Um, and you get the grace of God in here. So it's like every component of beauty is wrapped up in this song. And it shows really most people's hearts. Um, rather than like the horrible music that we have today in our culture. Paintings, um, I, I hope that uh, Pethra, my mother-in-law, is listening because she creates fantastic artwork, um, and all of it points to, to God. This is uh, a fresco by Andre Pozo, and it's uh, St. Ignatius Church, somewhere in Europe, I don't know where, but I remember seeing it in person, I traveled to Europe, and it had a particular effect on me. Um, so beautiful, so much beauty wrapped up there. It's like motion, it's action, it's dynamic. Um, imagine you walked into church and you saw this above your head. Like, wouldn't that move you to worship? Wouldn't that create that numinous feeling in you? Um, if our churches looked like churches in Europe, I think we'd have more people appreciate our churches. Um, people still today tour uh, churches or they like, treat it like a pilgrimage. Even atheists, they like just art lovers, will go to these churches and they're studying God. They don't even know it, but they're, the art brought them into church. Wouldn't it be cool if our churches, just by their being there, <laughs> brought people to them? Uh, I think that's awesome. So sculptures. I could say the same thing about church architecture, too. Um, some of, like, the basilicas. Um, sculptures. So this is the Pieta that I referenced by Michelangelo. And it's one of those things that makes you sad when you look at it, but it's still beautiful. So it breaks that rule that that uh, beauty um, brings us pleasure. Um, it's beautiful because it contains in it the gospel, and it's beautiful in the uh, symmetry in the just the classical attributes of art like it's realism it's just so beautiful um so having people in our culture that create stuff like this would be fantastic um i want to kind of finish here by saying that beauty captures the soul's imagination um the greeks the ancient greeks had a conception of the person which i don't know if it's 100% 100% accurate, but I sort of thought of the person as existing in a bubble. And the outer shell of the bubble um, is the imagination. And then contained inside of that, the next layer is the knowledge of a person. And then inside of that is sort of their true essence, like um, what they do, how they act, how they behave in the world, their soul. Um, and so for if, you're, if you were trying to change someone's actions, if you were trying to make them a better citizen, you would first have to penetrate their imagination. And once their imagination was sparked, then that idea could transform itself into knowledge. Um, Like with C.S. Lewis, those myths, just they touched his soul. And then um, 
he was able to come to like a true knowledge of the gospel, um, the, the one true myth. And then after that, it changed his life in, in service of Christ. So it changed his behavior. It, it changed his person. Um, so if we start with beauty, we can go quite far places. Um, the conclusion here, I don't know why I did that. Uh, the conclusion here, scripture tells us a lot about beauty, so we should be in our scripture daily. Um, beauty can be proved through lots of different arguments. Um, we went through all of them here, and I'm going to make these slides available on Facebook if you want to go over them again. Uh, apologize again for no notes. And so there's good reasons to believe beauty points to God. And if you find yourself in a situation uh, with a believer or even a non-believer where there's beauty, just draw the conversation in that direction. Say, wow, like God really blessed us with that image, or um, there, there must be a creator looking at that sunset, or say something along those lines um, to glorify God through his creation or through um, the art that we have in the world. Uh, and then let's make a concerted effort to promote beauty, like buy from local Christian artists, um, create uh, creative fiction yourself, um, maybe take time out of your day to beautify Shema, uh, just come here and help decorate. All those sort of things, they do a lot to advance the kingdom, probably more than we know. And the takeaway, again, is that beauty is the undeniable wink of the divine made manifest. The apologist of the week has to be Lewis, uh, because he did this so well. And I have a quote from him. Apparently then, our lifelong nostalgia, our longing to be reunited with something in the universe from which we now feel cut off, to be on the inside of of the, uh, sorry, of some door which we have always seen from the outside is no mere neurotic fancy, but the truest index of our real situation. Um, remember I said it's not a delusion. We're not, humanity isn't under a delusion that um, beauty exists. Rather, it's the truest index of our real situation. Um, Lewis said, you know, if uh, like a duck, uh, what is it? Ducks crave water because water really exists. Like, we get hungry because food really exists. Well, we have a longing to live forever. Uh, We have a longing to exist in beauty. Um, He called it joy. In his life, he was constantly in pursuit of this, like, um, this, like, uh, ineffable uh, beauty that he thought he could grab hold of, and he never could. And I think that we can sympathize with. I think we've all had that happen to us. And I think what we're grasping at is the kingdom to come. So um, that's what I think he's saying here. It's from the weight of glory. The challenge is what I've already stated. Let's ask a non-believer how they explain the existence of beauty uh, if you find yourself observing beauty with, with someone like that. And then the, oh, so we'll, we'll ask for um, reflections next time. The Ask the apologist, and I'm not a real apologist, so we'll just discuss things amongst ourselves. Uh, if you have any questions, either about this argument, about um, like things that you're struggling with in your faith, or uh, something that someone has brought to you and you didn't have an answer for, we can talk about that like a think tank right now.
<laughs> I'm not a professional apologist or a good apologist. I am <laughs> I'm a student of apologetics. I'll go that far. Anyway, anything that um, anyone has to offer it can be a question or a comment. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, so Alexandra Pethera said, um, "We should try to make ourselves attractive. Try to make ourselves beautiful." And I think she's absolutely right about that. There was a lot of um, scripture that talks that I excluded from this uh, presentation, but it talks about us, um, specifically women, and making themselves beautiful. Um, and that's something that we can do to show off like the image of God in us, the beauty that he's endowed in us, just not in like a flashy way, spending a lot of money or, or you know, being lewd, but um, just offering yourself as like a piece of art that points to God, right? Like, let's, let's make an effort to do that too. Yeah. Anything else? I think we're, we're we're ending like right on time. Yeah, exactly. So if there's nothing else, then um, I'll offer you this. This is if you want to dig deeper into the topic. Um, these are all resources which talk about the aesthetic argument, uh, the argument from beauty. And they're a lot more sophisticated than what we went through here. So you can, um, again, either take a picture of this or I'll post it on Facebook. And that's it. Go with God. Um, next, we'll be talking about miracles and how to defend the existence of miracles, how miracles point to God, if you're crazy for believing in miracles or not. It'll be fun. <laughs> It'll future Hume, a very good philosopher, for all the wrong reasons. All right. Thank you, guys.